Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. There's too much tennis this week, folks. We've had to divide up tennis watching in order to stay across it all. But good news is... There's three of us, and we've managed it. We're in Catherine's flat. The snacks are out. And uh, we're, we're, look, we're watching our final uh, final of the week, really, at the moment, which was Rafael Nadal against Taylor Fritz in Acapulco. Oh, it's match point. Um, and this is us just catching up on the, the very last little bits, because this was a through-the-night tournament, uh, which uh, Matt stayed fully across a year ago, uh, but has been... Less dedicated this hmm. year, Matt. Under the bus, straight, <laughs> straight from the off. Yeah, it made me realise how crucial Nick Kyrgios being in the tournament and causing aggro is to my Acapulco watching because I saw it all last year. Yeah, But it, it literally takes place between the hours of about 11pm and 6am UK time, Acapulco, which is just very difficult to keep up for the for the full week if you're then supposed to live Do normally the rest of the day yeah. and um, actually function um, yeah yes that, that's right and as uh, Rafael Nadal celebrates arms aloft having won the title um Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic win titles should, not a surprise you should point out that we're not watching that live no we're that's, not it's not it's, it's a recap four in the morning <laughs> folks uh, this is replay time um yeah we'll deal with that later that's uh, that's down the, the the agenda list um but it is interesting isn't it what, what that's a, that's an interesting case study in itself. And Nick Kyrgios's week will just take that in isolation. The total opposite, because he ended up being booed off the court, um, injured. Yeah, r- really uncomfortable scenes, weren't they, uh, in Acapulco? And and um, he was obviously uncomfortable with the whole thing. Came into to press afterwards, and I think the title of the the clip that was doing the rounds was "I don't give a." something i don't i don't give a hoot yeah um and yet it was very very clear from the content of of that clip that he really really did give a hoot and rightly and understandably so he it sounds like he was he knew he was kind of too injured to play was unlikely to to make it through a match other than a week but but valued the position of being defending champion valued the tournament and the 
the crowds and wanted to give it a go. Um, and it, it seemed like he felt a real sense of injustice at how he was treated by by those fans. R- wrist injury, uh, so hopefully he gets better soon. That's not that, a nice no, thing No, and it's a new flavour of injury for Kyrgios, isn't it? It's not, you know, we've had hip, we've had quite a lot of hip, and knee. back and knee, mm. and this is a new body part failing him, which concerns concerns me. Yeah, so get well soon, Nick Kyrgios. Um, Dubai, let's get on to that, because Novak Djokovic won the title and uh, beat Stefano Tsitsipas in the final, in, in a really uneventful final. I mean, it was it was the semi-final that was far more interesting from a Djokovic perspective what, in terms of being under the gun. He almost lost to Gael Monfils, which was 16-0 in the favour of, of Djokovic, and now it's 17-0. <laughs> what happened, Matt? You saw it. Tale as old as time. Oh. Well, I ended up feeling a little bit annoyed with Gael Monfils in a way, which was really unfair because this was his best ever performance against Djokovic by a mile. And he did absolutely everything that I've ever wanted him to do in one of those big matches in that, in that he had a game plan and he stuck to it. And the plan was chase down everything and kind of do to Djokovic what Djokovic does to other players by forcing them to go for the lines and miss. And Djokovic was all over the place with his forehand at the start, partly, I think, because of Monfils' movement being so good and making him go close to the lines. And yet when Monfils had a chance, he was just teeing off and smacking winners. I think he hit double the amount of winners as Djokovic in the whole match. Put himself in this great position, up a set and a break. But the whole time I was thinking... Either Djokovic is going to wake up in a minute and turn it on, or Monfils is going to wake up, wake up and and throw in a bad game, and it and it happened. But then, to Monfils's great credit, he served at three, four, four, five, and five, six in the second set, and each time I was expecting him to lose serve, and each time he resisted and held on. He showed a great amount of resistance in that second set, saved a load of set points for Djokovic got himself in a position where he had three match points in the tie break. And then, yeah, then he woke up and the errors came and Djokovic dug in to his immense credit. He didn't, he didn't make the unforced errors in those moments. Monfils did. Djokovic somehow won that second set in a tie break. And then the third set was just a foregone conclusion with Monfils's body was seemingly falling apart by that stage. But it was a, it was an incredibly dramatic match and Monfils was the reason it was so dramatic because he he did play so much better than he normally does in those matches. And yet I still felt frustrated with him at the end because he just couldn't quite finish him off. Should he have won? Yes. Yeah. It, it feels really harsh to to always single out when players, for the ones of a better word, choke against Djokovic because he does seem to make so many players choke that I, I I think that part of it is what Djokovic is doing down the other end but it doesn't take away from the fact that you can you still feel like Monfils should have finished it off for the next Matt stat I want to know when Djokovic last made an unforced error in a tie break gosh yeah I mean it's been a while right yeah I mean well I 
clearly don't know exactly how long it's been, but I can't, I can't remember one. No. He, he's, I find it astounding that he manages to produce this level of performance and grit in the important moments at a tournament that is not going to make that much difference to his career. Now, it's, it's a good tournament. Dubai, it's one he turned up for and he wanted to win. But I still find that extraordinary, that when, when you've won all that stuff and you're a set down and you're, you know, match points down, that you can find it within yourself to care that much and want to still scrap for your life. And he's psychologically, it seems, um, created an incentive for himself to to try um, to to produce that uh, at every tournament, tournament, no matter what the size, because he has said that he wants to go the season unbeaten. He said, oh, he said, I want to go the season unbeaten. I'm kind of joking, but not not he, completely he said, joking. I'm, he said, I'm kidding. Actually, I'm Actually, not kidding. I'm not, yeah. And and you still watched him smile after saying it and you're trying to work out well which is it um, he's not kidding well why would he be kidding he's unbeaten thus far what is it 18 he, he's, and zero? you know for, yeah. for for someone that's whose primary aim is obviously going to be the the grand slam record um for, I, I, it's a marvel to me exactly as you said how they how they find it in them to 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 produce this stuff and put their bodies through what it has to go to, even at Masters Thousand level, really, at the, for for those big three, let alone at five hundred level. With all due respect to those events, so I f- think this is a really, really good um, mind game for him to to play with himself. Actually, for the year, um, I find it really interesting. I don't know whether he's been inspired by Liverpool. If so. Yeah. That was ill-timed. <laughs> <laughs> it was, It was. I think, 2011 when he went 40-plus matches, wasn't it? All the way from the first match of the year through to the French Open without being beaten. Yeah, and he's currently on 18 in a row this season, 21 in a row overall, if you include the three he won at the Davis Cup mm. finals last year. 21 wins in a row is his seventh best winning streak. <laughs> I mean... Imagine that being your seventh best. It, it's, it is outrageous, the the number of times we've seen this dominance from Djokovic. Um, and he is, he's talking differently this year. I think the last couple of years, I think he's really been targeting the slams. That, that's been pretty obvious. No more so than how his record at Indian Wells and Miami in the last few years has just taken a massive nosedive. I mean, he used to dominate those events and he's not been a factor really there for a while but he said after after Dubai that he thinks you know he's really prioritizing those events as well because they he feels like they can be a bit of a springboard into having a better clay court season um I think I need to adjust readjust my mind when thinking about Djokovic because for so long I always picked him to win every tournament he entered last year I started to adjust that because he wasn't we didn't see the same focus from him at all the tournaments but now he seems to have gone back to that kind of mode he was in in 2015 2016 where he just feels like the favorite in all these tournaments because his focus is there and he's he's beating a lot of top players i think the atp cup was actually as much as we thought that potentially it could 
lead to a bit of burnout early on early on in the season. I think it, it sharpened his mind well, straight I, away because he had was, to play so many top 10 players. I was the one who came up with that theory, and I mean, that was dashed. Um, but it was... I, I kind of felt it was dashed the moment I sat down with Goran and spoke mm. to him about it. And the, the, he didn't give that lip service, really. He just thought he was just so adamant that he needed that. And I, I think that. Bloody persuasive when I was making my Australian Open <laughs> predictions, though. It was good theory. It just was, it was a good total theory. nonsense. And, and he, I mean, he gave it a little bit. Oh, <laughs> she's so irritated at me. Well, I I made the case with you. It is ludicrous to not pick Novak Djokovic to win the Australian Open, and then you made this really compelling case, and I found myself not picking Novak Djokovic to win the Australian Open, and obviously that was ludicrous. Job and done. Then. I mean, Djokovic never listening to you again. Djokovic did say he did adjust his schedule post HB yeah. Cup pre-Australian Open so thank you Matt he gave it a little bit of um, of weight and actually I also he was never going to go to Adelaide at <laughs> come on I also completely messed that up as well but, um, but I, I think Goran might be a reason for where he is um, just just to bring this animal back out of him you well, know and, and stop worrying about numbers and, and just take over yeah, bring that out of him and bring a bit of fun out in him. Did you see the 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 video of them of uh, Djokovic and the team on on the plane trolling <laughs> a very very fast asleep Goran? Oh, really? Um, and yeah, putting stuff on him and taking photos and and I know that's just social media. You can present you can present whatever you want to the world on social media, but I think Goran is this great mix of yeah, hard as nails, go out there and crush all before you but also relaxed and good fun um and doesn't take it all too seriously Mm. um and it's it's a winning formula for sure yeah i mean look i don't think Djokovic is going to go the season unbeaten do you think he could win the slam win the the canada slam the golden slam yes i think he's got more chance of doing that than going the season unbeaten Agree, oh, yeah. but I think yeah. it's if it weren't an Olympic year, Catherine talks about the Olympics. <laughs> if it weren't an Olympic year, I would give more um, credence to that scenario. I don't think it is possible, it's going to be possible for someone to win Wimbledon, the Olympics, and the US Open. I don't think you mm. can peak for, for those three. Andy Murray almost did it, didn't he? It, yeah, which yeah. looking back is <laughs> unreal, mm. absolutely unreal. And I, but I just think if you look at the ATP Tour now compared to 2015, 2016, when we kind of saw this dominance from Djokovic last, there are more threats to him now. Like Nadal wasn't much of a factor really on the clay in 2015. I mean, Djokovic brushed him aside at the French Open that year. Team is a much better player on the clay now. Um, okay, he, he's just he's just beaten Sitsipas very easily in the Dubai final. But 2015 was a period where we were waiting for for the people like Sitsipas, Verev to come through. And they are here now. And I think they will present bigger challenges to him throughout the season. But I still think in every big match they play, Djokovic will be the favourite against them. But I think he is going to, he's going to take some losses. He will. I mean, he almost lost him on feast. Yeah. Sitsipas needed an 11-hour nap 
in what looked like a hotel lobby after his loss to Djokovic in the final. I thought it looked like a mall, like a shopping mall. Right, even weirder. I can imagine him sort of getting stuck in a shopping mall overnight. <laughs> I mean, this Like Night at the Museum yeah. style. It, I, I felt all a bit underwhelmed about it because about half an hour earlier we'd been informed that Catherine had had a 13-hour nap. Yeah. Well, that was an overnight. It was a 13-hour sleep. If it's more than three hours, you can't call it a nap. You've just gone to bed. Right. Okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah, small fry, Stephanos. Small fry. Uh, Who I I thought would maybe make it closer uh, in that final. And and I think Djokovic is basically the reason he didn't. I think Djokovic was just on it in that final. Yeah, I think think Sitsipas will find that quite a sort of one of those losses that he finds confusing where he's at a bit of a loss. He had a bit of a confusing week, didn't he? Because <laughs> he had a, he had some words to say about his parents and then the following day his mum came into the press conference. What was he saying about his mum and dad? Well, he was saying that he thinks they're too involved in his life, um, both kind of on the, on the court and off the court. Um... And yeah, then the next day, his his mum shows up in his press conference, and this wasn't this wasn't planned or no. scripted. I don't, I it don't wasn't think. a looked, jaunty, fun set up no. for a social media video. It was weird. Yeah, and he looked uncomfortable, and it felt. I mean, this is total outsider, but it felt like a kind of slightly passive aggressive response from his mum to the press conference the day before, thinking, well. I'm going to check up now on what he's saying in these press conferences because he's talking about me. And it just didn't, didn't really feel right, especially when you consider everything that went on at the start of the year with his dad and his mum at the ATP Cup. This has been brewing for a little while now, I think, this sort of tension that is, exists in that setup. Yeah, it looked it, the whole thing looked really uncomfortable to, to me from a number of... Um... Angles. I mean, I found his the the previous day when he was asked about his relationship with his parents. He, it was such an endearing answer. Mm. He was just such an open book and really relatable for a twenty one year old um, coached by his parents to be talking in those terms. You know, sort of saying in some ways we have a great relationship and I love them being around. But of course, it's weird and there are probably problematic elements to it. And drawing a line between parent and coach and all of that, you know, just so often we try to drill down into these things and the response is is sort of a brush off you know no it's fine you know it's it's all easy well obviously it's not always easy that relationship and it was a it was a really interesting answer he he said you know there aren't many examples of parents coaching of, of fathers coaching their their offspring their sons he said there were lots of examples on the women's tour but he he cited he said oh, i know zverev uh uh, is coached by his dad at the moment, but and then I can't quite remember what he said. But the implication was, but we don't talk. <laughs> yeah, and he was um, and he was desperately searching for an example of a Grand Slam champion yes. who'd been coached by a parent and couldn't find one. Couldn't find Someone one. said Casper Rude, <laughs> and he said, "Oh yeah, maybe, but I've never spoken to him." <laughs> um, it was just all really endearing, and then. I saw it flagged um, that this incident had happened the subsequent day. I think it was you that flagged it, Matt, that Sitsipas's mum had, had had rocked up at his press conference. And I assumed that that was some sort of setup for a funny of some sort. And it 
it really wasn't. It was passive aggressive. He was really uncomfortable with it. I think it's inappropriate for, for her to have been in the room and sort of commandeering that room, really. Um, and, you know, disrespectful to the people in there trying to do their, their jobs. Um, I'm sure that wasn't her intention, but it's just not an appropriate um, situation. It was it was highly bizarre. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, w- I wonder where it'll go, because if you think back to, to other players over the years, whilst there may not be that many parents full-time coaching their sons, and there are some on the, on the women's side, that you can think of Caroline Wozniacki all the way through her career and others. I, I think of Maria Sharapova's dad became less and less involved over the years. And, and, and that's happened a few times, hasn't it? Leighton Hewitt's an example of that. I mean, they were, I, I know his parents weren't quite coaching him, but they were ever present, weren't they? Mm. Um, they were a huge, huge influence and travelled with him absolutely everywhere. And it's difficult because, as, you, as you're saying, Stephanus Sitsipas clearly just dotes on his parents. He loves them to bits. And, he, he, and he, the last thing he's going to want to do is upset them or whatever. But who knows whether that is sustainable, really? Well, he's also got um, a, a, an a lot a younger sister, who's sort of travelling with them. I wonder if he's conscious of the fact that, you know, I don't know what her schooling setups and everything are, but he is practically the centre of his parents' universe and everything revolves around them. This was something I was really interested in when we had Marion Bartley, the impact of that whole setup um, on her relationship with, with her brother. I wonder if he's conscious of that because he's not their only child and yet he is the center of that family's universe Mm. and that dynamic i find really fascinating um and what i mean as much as you know there were a couple of uncomfortable moments related to it this week what a joy to have someone that's so open about about all of those um bumps in the road and and um just complications li- of the, of the lifestyle life experience of being really. a professional tennis player because yeah. it's a weird weird life and it's you know a lot of people don't don't think it's fair to to hear about the downsides just because they're they're rich and famous and get to travel the world well no that doesn't mean it's not a strange difficult and very unique life there's no there's not many um um, agony on columns dedicated to the trials and tribulations of being a professional tennis player. You know, it's a pretty niche problem. I can yeah. imagine it feeling very lonely. Well, and, and as much as him talking about the problem has created this slightly sticky situation this week, in the long term, it's much better that he's open and honest and has put that out there as a problem rather than just bottling it all up and going along with it for a year, two years, whatever it may be, and it impacting his career and life in that way. Can I set your mind at rest, Matt? I don't think Stefano Sitsipas is bottling anything up. <laughs> no, <laughs> he might have other problems. It, it, it did occur to me, though, when, when he... I think he lost early in Rotterdam. Yeah. And then you've got this period of time until your next event. And I've seen it in... When somebody loses particularly early in Indian Wells, and they've got a week and a half until they can go to Miami or until they at least start the tournament in Miami, mm. maybe two weeks. And so what do you do? Do you... 
do you go and stay in Indian Wells and keep practicing when you're not in the tournament? Do mm. you go somewhere else? It's and, and those sorts of things are a particular disadvantage for South American players and Australian players because if you've got a if you've got a week to play with, it's probably not quite even with travelling business class and all the rest of it. It's it's a lot more difficult for you to just pop home for a few days and, and just again, get that hit of normality. I'm sure people are thinking, well, worse places to be than Indian Wells or Miami. But that's, A, I think sometimes the, the, the tendency can be, right, I'm just going to practice and just put all this right because I've lost first round. And you can end up never kind of off, never sort of relaxing as a result of that or you might go the other way and just completely let your hair down and then struggle to it, just get in the balance right and getting any sense of normality in a tennis player's life is is not an impossible really you've got to just create it yourself and make it work for you and uh, yeah there are loads of upsides but there are some real challenges he beat in the semi-finals dan evans who had basically the week of his life in terms of uh, the tennis circuit. He beat Andre Rublev, in, I think, in the quarterfinals to get to that point. Um, some other good wins, Fabio Fanini in the first round. From a set and a breakdown. Yeah, um, and really Eben. impressive. He, uh, he, and they, these were tough, tough matches. Rublev was straight sets, but impressive. Yeah, Dan Evans' bamboozling Russian opponents is one of my favourite sights in tennis. And we saw him do it to... Hatchinov a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? Where was that? Rotterdam. Rotterdam. Mm. Um, and saw, you know, he reduced Rublev to Eugenie-style self-abuse with his <laughs> with his racket. I mean, you can see there, it's, everything about their demeanours just says, what is this guy? Why is he S- making me look and feel so one-dimensional? Stop slicing. Yeah. Him, all right? Um, Give me a normal shot. I love it. But it was, it was weird that Dan Evans is game completely confused Rublev in a way that Dimitrov's game hasn't fed I mean Rublev destroyed Federer in Cincinnati who plays with a lot of slice but what was it about Dan Evans I think it was the kind of as much as the game it was the it was the pleasure that Dan Evans was taking oh yeah Evans never once thought I need to take this guy on at his own game and just knock him off the court which Roger Federer would never entertain Mm. trying to piss his opponent off into submission he wouldn't do that (laughs) he would want to take him on and just knock him off the court in his own way Dimitrov has got a little bit of that. All right, you're going to hit the ball harder at me? Well, we'll have some of this then, you know, and using his athleticism like that. Evans just decided he was going to slow ball him until he got completely irritated. (laughs) (laughs) And it worked a treat. Um, And just made him kind of malfunction. Irritation, the underrated tennis tactic. Yeah, I like a bit of irritation. But I mean, that's so that's five top. 20 wins for Dan Evans now in in 20 what year are we in 2020 um which is as many as the rest of his whole career put together mm. going back to 2009 when I think he first played a top 20 player that is that's an incredible boost in performance and I remember when when we had our um podcast little two-day meeting in Solihull last year Catherine and I took the train back and as as you do, we spent the journey talking about Dan Evans and reading out his list of results. Because I was saying, as, as well as Dan Evans has been playing, I never feel like he's had a really good win. Like, I feel like he's often beating players he should be beating and then losing to players 
who were ranked higher than him. And we, and I, I remember we read out his list of results to, you know, all the carries could hear us. And we were saying, yeah, okay, yeah, good win, but not a really good win. Plays to his ranking. Plays to his ranking. has And but that's and that's great to get you up to where he was, around 40 in the world. But to go that next step, to break into the seeds at the slams, he needed to start beating much better players. And he started doing that this year. And that's, that's so impressive. I think the ATP Cup was a great way for him to start the year mm. as well, in retrospect. Yeah. Um, honing himself against top players relentlessly like that. Um, 28 in the world now, career amazing. high. Um, Kyle Edmund also had another decent week, beat Felix Auger-Aliassim and got to the quarterfinals, eventually lost to Taylor Fritz in Acapulco and Jack Draper as well. Um, won, I think, an ITF in Sunderland. So mm-hmm. we'll get on to Heather Watson in a minute because um, Britain have had a pretty good week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, tennis podcast listeners. David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. In fact, let's go straight to to Acapulco and uh, and concentrate on. Let's start with that because I watched that final. It was comical final to to watch on replay because she was six four two love up with a point for three love, and this was in less than an hour. Um, and two hours later, I'm still sitting there <laughs> watching this match, and she had four match points at six two in the second set tiebreak. I mean, the the match started in daylight, ended in pitch black darkness and with no spectators at all at the start of the match i mean it's a big old stadium in acapulco and it was deserted and then by the time they finished there was a full crowd it was it was really good atmosphere and she beats Layla fernandez this 17 year old from canada who i i must have commentated on last year at some point because i i remembered her her game and her name and i mean she's really slight she mm. physically she 
you couldn't imagine a, a, a bigger difference between two Canadian players than her and Bianca Andreescu in terms of physicality. Andreescu just owns the court physically. She's a, she's a, such a, a presence. And Fernandez really very very much the opposite and yet hits the ball incredibly hard when she connects but it's all timing based um but watson went toe to toe with her and i thought considering she had to 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 use 10 match points in order to eventually win the match i thought actually that was a real achievement and there was a lovely moment on match point when she won it and she went up to her mom mm. who was who was in the corner of the court there and gave her a hug and, and she must have said something like i'm sorry to put you through that or i can't believe it took me 10 match points or something and her mom just said it doesn't matter how you got there it matters that you got there yeah and it was just a lovely moment of of celebration between mum and daughter yeah because i thought that uh heather watson's reaction upon winning was almost it wasn't completely joyous she was almost a little bit annoyed with herself that it had taken as you said 10 match points a, a third set to get it done but it was just the, the sort of perfect mum perspective from is it michelle i think i think her mum's mm. called yeah although people that aren't her son or daughter call her mama i, I think She's just Mama to She's everyone. Mama Watson. Yeah. yeah. Like Uncle Tony. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> Everyone's uncle. She was good, Watson was. I mean, I, I, I should say as well, I think Fernandez is, is really one to watch for the future, whether well, physically she can handle it. Canadians are very excited about her, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, why wouldn't you be? Left-handed, great and, talent. Yeah, she won French Open Juniors last year and she beats... Um, Blinda Bengtschik a few weeks ago in in Fed Cup when you know Andreescu wasn't able to play that tie because through injury and Fernandez was kind of drafted into the team and I think Canada were two 0 down and she had to win to keep that tie alive and she she beat Bengtschik pretty easily and that's the sort of player who I think will will suit Fernandez as you were saying she she is so slight but she's got a she's got slightly quirky ground strokes her forehand's not textbook at all but. She's got these idiosyncrasies in her game, which I think will be fun to watch and will match up well against players like Bencic a little bit. It's the, it's the kind of the power players who I would worry a bit more. It was quite interesting about. watching her coach come on, though, and he, he, his message to her was just stay loose because you've got to impose your game. Mm. And she's clearly just got that level of talent. And she... So, she, yeah, she's got this coach now, but for a long time she was also coached by her father rather than using the coaches from the Canadian Tennis Federation. I think there was a little bit of a, perhaps a tension between those two uh, groups. Um, but it's it's nice that these that, that this technique hasn't been coached out of her. Um, and yeah, that, there's obviously a lot of excitement in, in Canada about her. And uh, you can see why. And we should remember that 17 is unbelievably young. Mm. Coco Goff is an absolute exception, um, and which has not changed the overall. I mean, I'm sure she skews the stats slightly, but 17, <laughs> take Coco Goff out of the equation, and 17 is incredibly young, and these are big results, yeah. very much ahead of the curve results. Yeah, I really enjoyed the final, and it did make me look at Watson and... And I've thought this for a long while. I mean, she's back inside the top 50 now. And she's she sometimes throws in pretty inexplicable performances to me in losses. Where I, Because when I look at her game, I think she should be higher than this. And she should have 
had better results than this over the course of her career, more consistent results. I mean, she's obviously had injuries like so many players had, but she's been she's had some excellent results. I just feel as though they should have been more consistent over the years. Yeah, I feel the feel the same really because her game is all about consistency. There is a ceiling to it in that she obviously lacks the big weapons, you know, that that some players do have and certainly most players at the top of the game have, but she's got this great competitive spirit. You know, there was a time when she was really famous for certainly there was sort of a joke among um, British journalists that she would always win in a gritty third set. Um, and yeah, she just sort of brings it and plays her game and, and never gives up on a boy. I feel like consistency should have been the buzzword of her career and, and um, there have been periods of it, but it is, it's waxed and waned. And I think that's, um, I mean, she's been pretty open about the the mental health side of of life on tour hasn't she so i suspect that's been a a major factor in it all i think she's in a really happy place at the moment simon briggs has done a piece today um on her in general but picking up on um the influence that her her boyfriend who is a luton yeovil Yeovil town Town striker i believe Mm. Sorry, Luton. <laughs> sure, you've got good strikers too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the influence he's had on her, and obviously, no one's got a bad word to say about Mama. Um, so it's, it's it's really good to see, and and she she stopped being a factor altogether for a while there, even for from a British perspective. You know, she was she just was in. She was nowhere in the for world a of the spirit, wasn't she? But yeah. she's actually got. I mean, they're they're not Conta level titles. Conta having won Miami, um, they're not that level of title. But she's actually won more of them. Yeah, she's got she's got four WTA titles, which is the most by a British woman since Sue Barker. Um, she's got that's more than Joe Dury and Joe Conta, who each have two and three. Obviously, they have higher level higher level titles and did more at the Slams. But it is a mark. It is a indicator of what Watson is capable of when as you said she's in a good place and is fit and playing um I think the carrot of the Olympics Catherine talks about the Olympics um (laughs) I think the carrot of the Olympics is massive for Heather Watson this year because it's difficult for her because I think uh, I you and I David worked at the um Champions Tour event at the Albert Hall one year when Heather Watson I think it was a year or so after she had won that US Open junior title which was 2008 wasn't it and she she was there doing some some I think she was playing an exhibition with some of the um the legends there and she she did some press associated with it and she was asked what's your goal and she said to be world number 1 didn't she do you remember yes. this yes I do yeah. and it was that's a really difficult question isn't it because of course you've got to be ambitious there's every, every bit the mantra is you know if you believe it you can achieve it even if it seems improbable you can't sort of emerge onto the tennis scene and go well I obviously haven't got what it takes to be world number one so I'll aim for sort of world number 40 <laughs> nobody's thinking like that but but at the same time when she said that you and I sort of looked at one another and said you know I'll bless you know something along those lines because you know her game is just not equipped to be a a world number one game so I think sort of finding achievable goals has possibly been 
difficult and you, for her. You know, winning in in Acapulco uh, this week, I'm sure it felt more achievable as the week went on. But looking at that field, she probably went in thinking, "Yeah, this is this is possible." For but look me. what you mentioned in regard to one of the greatest of all time, Novak Djokovic, trying to find something to to get him going, to to give him a buzz, to give him a purpose. Absolutely. And, and, and I a think week like this is is to, you know, not lose a match, to make that a goal because I'm winning everything else. In her situation, yeah, if you perhaps look too far into the distance and if you look at her 10-year-plus career, it's hovered around this sort of ranking or a little bit higher or a little bit lower – um, but there are shorter term goals that she can dedicate herself towards, and it's uh, it's good to see her getting the most out of it. Yeah, it's not a it's by no means given the Olympics, but she's definitely put herself in in a really good position, I think, um, and that that should that should motivate her further. Um, so I'm really pleased to see, and I just love to hear somebody talk about the Olympics as that that bigger goal that just that honour, really, of just being able to to participate. Uh, the men's event was won by Rafael Nadal, pretty straightforwardly, in all honesty. He beat Taylor Fritz in the final, 6-3, 6-2, I think it was, straight sets. Um, and did he lose a set in the week? I don't no. think he did, no. no. And he, and I, think, he, I think he only lost... I think he was averaging losing about five games a match or something, yeah. I think I read. This is the, and this is the tournament that a year ago he, he had match point against Kyrgios and he lost that total circus of a match. Um, this one, there was none of that at all. And, and he's got the same situation as, as Novak Djokovic, really, hasn't he? He's, uh, he's done it all and ultimately his career will be remembered by the number of slams he's won and how many weeks he's been at world number one and how many Olympics he might win. And yet he turns up in Acapulco not a backward step just keeps marching onwards and uh Toda Fritz I was impressed with over the course of the week I saw the match he, he won against Carl Edmund I, I'm always taken aback by how hard Fritz is capable of hitting the ball because he's quite slight really isn't yeah. his frame he's not got a big hitter's frame he's got a very lively arm I feel like that's yeah. a phrase that people with the technical expertise, would say. No, sort I, of a whiplash. I think that's mm. true. Type action. And a big serve as well, unexpectedly big serve. Yeah. I feel like we were debating about how high we feel he can go earlier this week. And I think there is top 10 potential in Taylor Fritz. I. Do you think he's got the fire in the belly? I don't. He might be just one of those laid-back guys that's really laid, that has the fire, but is chill about it. When I saw him win that Davis Cup doubles, uh, that Davis Cup dead rubber against Matteo Berrettini in Madrid, I was mightily impressed. There was nobody watching. It was on an outside court, and I remember Marty Fish was really chuffed about it. They couldn't go through. They they realized sort of. I think mid-match they realized we can't go through uh, because of results elsewhere and Fritz just kept on coming and uh, and I thought that was really I know it just might sound quite minor but I just thought there's somebody who's just competing for the sake of being competitive and I like I like it and the way he celebrated after beating Edmund I thought was real fire in the belly thing is you've obviously got to you can't just do it for a match or two you've got to like Nadal when you've got no obvious reason to turn up other than just to be competitive and be the best you can be every single time. Yeah, 
I've always been left a little bit cold by his by his game a little bit. I think I think it is actually the game amongst the young Americans men with the most potential or upside Americans would probably say, you know, there's he has got a good serve, he's consistent off both forehand and backhand. And crucially He's been willing to play on clay, which I think is a really big thing in his favour. Last year, he committed to the clay, won matches on the clay, which just a lot of the American men just kind of use that as their off-season in a way and don't commit to it. But he has, and I think that's a good way of developing his game. But I don't feel excited watching him. And I know excitement isn't a kind of gateway to success. It's not, you know, those two things aren't related, but just feel like there's a little spark missing perhaps with taylor fritz i don't know i just well i, I disagree per, on a personal note it's re, he's really grown on me in mm. the last six months um and i, I david's been on a journey with yeah taylor fritz. I, I do well i remember uh, i remember uh, we, Sam we're Pres- just at the start of our I journey the most <laughs> the, the most excited i've been watching him was actually at the labor cup when he mm. beat team yeah I think he, I mean, he blew him off the court. And I, I saw that that was when I first thought about this potential that he had. But the Labour Cup is, you can't sort of draw much from those results because it's so out of the ordinary in terms of the setup there. And I think there he did have that fire. He did have that passion. But perhaps, you know, you're saying he had it this week in Acapulco against Edmund. Just want to see a little bit more of that on I, the tour. I don't feel that he will have a problem getting up for those matches. I don't think he'll be cowed by matchups on a big stage. I think the the challenge will be getting to them and mm. being professional enough. I think over the years that might have been an issue. Um, he's he's a young guy who's been a, for for somebody who's twenty two. He's been around for a, quite a while. I remember Pete Sampras hitting with him when he was on the Champions Tour somewhere and saying what a big ball he strikes and as we in the media tend to do and as the tours tend to do somebody exciting comes along and we're so quick to to make a big deal out of it and i'm as guilty of it as anybody because you like to, it's nice to talent spot and, and see them come through and i do think that that's a, a big thing to come to terms with his mother was a top 10 player on the wta circuit kathy fritz uh, his dad was a, a player as well. He was a, a French Open finalist in 2015, lost to Tommy Paul, who incidentally is starting to make some waves now. I think it's not necessarily that easy to to have all of this in your kind of favour and have all of this pedigree and get results early on and then suddenly go through a period where you're not having them. He, he's also he's a young father and he, a guy who got married at aged 18. I mean, these are, these are big life experiences to have. Out of, I don't know the guy, so I don't know how he's handled all of those sort of things. But to my mind, those are incredibly big things to be mm. having happen to you at a very young age. But at 22, I just feel like he, he seems to really want it to me. And um, I, I hold a lot of hope for him. Well, I'm pl- I'm pleased to hear your assessment because I like his game. Um, I've just been looking for looking for the the spark and the fire. But I will, as I've just said, I'm never listening to you again. I will <laughs> listen to you, David, and I will mental note to keep an eye on Taylor Fritz in well, Indian Wells. I, and Miami. I was going to say those two tournaments yeah. will be interesting because yeah. suddenly he's, I think, the American number two now. He's 24 in the world. He's just behind um, John Isner. And there, there should be start to be some attention on him and some big court assignments. Big, big winners from the week uh, on the Taylor front in tennis. Yes. What else has happened for Taylors in tennis? Taylor Swift. Oh, 
right? What's happened? Great video. She's 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 released a video with tennis content in it. I sometimes get the two mixed up. <laughs> Someone did. There was there, there's a video on the on Twitter. I think at one of these pre Wimbledon exhibition events, like the Boodles or something, and yes. um, and the interviewer said, "Congratulations, Taylor Swift." And, <laughs> was there a stampede? Only about. Five seconds later, did she realise her mistake and then corrected it? <laughs> Brilliant. Can you imagine the excitement? So what was Taylor Swift's lyrics she's, all about? She's, um, uh, she's released a video to The Man and uh, she... Uh, a great video. She's in drag throughout... Um, although you don't realise she's in drag, that's probably not a very good trailer for it. I've just Spoiler. completely spoiled yeah. the whole thing. Um, and there is a scene, it's all sort of her, um, oh, Matt, I'm floundering, help me. Well, I think it's in, in, inspired by the 2018 US Open women's final between Osaka and Serena. And I, I, think, the, I think her message is that Serena's... Um, outburst, if you like, was 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 viewed much more harshly by the media and and sort of people in general because she's a woman. Um, and I think I think I think Taylor Swift saying that men would get away with a with a outburst like that on the tennis court a lot more. The Guardian review I read though said that it was um, a jibe at John McEnroe. And his behaviours and how they would have been perceived had he been a woman. Right. So Ooh. the jury, so sort of... Open make, to interpretation. Yeah, make, like, like make of it art. what you will. Yeah. <laughs> where, where, where can I get this video? YouTube. The internet, David. Right. Can you dial that up for me later? <laughs> I've got all sorts of Taylor Swift content right. I can expose you to. Okay. Okay, so there you go, facts. Um, go and watch Taylor Fritz's great. I video. I like the crossover of, of worlds... Mm. Everybody missed my Taylor Fritz line there. It's all right, it's fine. Um, So, yeah, Taylor Swift and Taylor Fritz, both winners almost this week. Um, Doha, Arena Sabalenka won the title and uh, beat Petra Kvitova in the final. Yes. And uh, was was excellent. I mean, that was a stacked field, wasn't it? I mean, I picked wrongly um, Gabini Magarutha to win that title and she was beaten by Ash Barty which just gives you an idea of how strong that field was and then I think it was Kvitova who beat Barty and then Sabalenka's coming through and, and won it Every day of that tournament I felt like there was at least one match on the schedule that made me really salivate um, at the prospect and yeah. a, a couple of them didn't didn't quite live up to it Um but a couple really did. Uh, Barty Kvitova was interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the best match I saw. That was going on simultaneously with Monfils Djokovic in, oh, in this, Dubai. It's so infuriating. And you can look, you can't get away from matches clashing when you have two tournaments of that size running at the same time. The finals elements wound me up. Mm. Um, the fact that the... The Doha and the Dubai finals started at exactly the same time. Now, they've, look, they've both got local considerations. They'll both maybe have a TV slot. They've both got local fan considerations. But goodness me, could they not have moved an hour each 
in different directions and created a two-hour window for themselves. It's tennis shooting itself in the foot, isn't it? It's yeah. so frustrating. And I mean, I, I know that from from our experience at Queen's that, that there is some consideration put to try to put, say, Birmingham before the Queen's final so that they miss one another. Um, and, and, and there are requests occasionally put in for the Halla final to, to try to avoid... Con- clashing with with queens and uh, sometimes it's not possible for instance when the 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 european football championships are on and and for instance queens needs its tv slot in order to miss that you can't always get it but it has to be part of the the, the conversation i, I feel that. i don't and maybe it was maybe there were reasons for it but just as a as a straight viewing experience it was enormously frustrating because these were two matches that you would just love to have seen and obviously we we have the the advantage of being able to watch them on catch-up but live sport is live sport and you want to be able to enjoy it all if you possibly can mm, yeah I, I i found myself um switching over to barty kvitova once it looked like djokovic had got the better of monfils in that mm. third set i switched over to barty kvitova and i think that's that's been one of the standout rivalries, really, on the WTA Tour in the last 18 months. It's really in, it's a really interesting rivalry, how Kvitova led it, Barty figured it out, I think I think won four in a row, and now Kvitova's won this one. just seems that their games match up really well against each other because I always think of Kvitova as that player that if she's allowed to play her best tennis she's probably going to win because her ball striking is so good and so pure and it's like how, how do you beat her when she's playing her best but Barty's able to throw off her game a little bit and mix it up with a lot of slice and just make make things awkward and uncomfortable mm. for someone like Kvitova and yet Kvitova found a way to get past Barty in, in Doha which she was just her return of serve from Kvitova was unbelievable she was just hitting clean winners and it was, just, it was the sort of tennis that makes you laugh when, when it's, it's that good. Um, and I think, I mean, who knows? Sabalenka was playing so well that she could have got the better of Barty in the final. But I think it would have been a big relief for mm. Sabalenka to face Kvitova um, than to face Barty. I don't know that head-to-head off the top of my head, but I rather suspect that Sabalenka does not enjoy facing Ash Barty. Yeah, you could imagine that would be tough. Frustrating for her. Um, not- uh, so I, I just think Sabalenka's... Just one of these players who whose results are a little bit like her game in a way, in that she's either on or or she's off. I mean, yeah. she has these weeks where she blasts through the field and she looks like the best player in the world. She looks untouchable, and yet she has these weeks where she doesn't make it past the first or second round. Um, and I think obviously the context of her at the moment is she's playing just a few months after her father died and she's she's been really open talking about that and saying how much she feels like she's playing for him at the moment and just you you just wish her well in that in in that respect um but yeah I just I just remember looking at that field when we were making our predictions at the start of the week thinking I just genuinely have no idea who's going to win this tournament in stark contrast to Dubai and Acapulco as soon as Djokovic and Nadal are back in the field felt like they were going to win it yeah and put it put it in these terms we we actually had i don't know quite how she can look us in the face and do it but we had some gloating from Catherine about her newsletter prediction being correct and it was <laughs> yeah. rafael nadal to win the acapulco well i've title. been on a bad run and i needed i needed <laughs> a banker and when you need a banker you go 
you go Nadal in Acapulco, brackets, after Nick Kyrgios had withdrawn. Yeah, she, and that's what she did. Yes, <laughs> in my, um, uh, well, it's not a prediction, but Sabalenka actually leads the head-to-head against Barty 3-2. Oh, really? So, <laughs> um, yeah. Good theory. I know nothing. <laughs> I, I would have gone with your theory, Barty, though, I must yeah. say. Uh, yeah, so, she, uh, she won their last meeting, Wuhan, last year. Yeah, so she if, does... I mean, she does play well in she, Wuhan. She beats, uh, she's beaten uh, Barty and Wuhan consecutive years, yeah. which makes sense to me. You uh, you will be able to get our newsletter predictions if you sign up to our newsletter, folks, which will be going out in the next couple of days. Mine was out of date before it was even sent this week. That's a, that's a low point, isn't it? It was. It was a bit left field. Burton's. Oh, I thought it was Merton's. <laughs> Did he? Oh, <laughs> splendid. Ah, so anyway, what are we going to go for this week? Could be Burton's, could be Merton's, could be someone else. Uh, you'll find out. It's a funny week this week, isn't it? Is it? Yes, given that there's been so, so many tour events the last couple of, uh, last couple of weeks. And then this week, we've got no men's events because it's a Davis Cup week. Everybody's um, playing the Indian Wells Challenge. Everyone's Everybody playing. Everybody in the everyone, whole world. If, if you want to play on tour, you're playing the Indian Wells Challenge, <laughs> yes. which is so really we might have to bizarre. do a prediction about that or the Davis um, Cup and or in, something. In the women's, it's just Lyon, I think, which is and Monterey. Oh, and Monterey, of course. Which yeah. oh, oh it's which Kim Kleist is against Joe Conte. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so. that's the that's the kind of headline. Pole vault saying that Kim Kleist no. is going to win. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Well, we had disgust at pole vault on WhatsApp as well. It really irritated me, that pole vault. Just got no data on which to base that. It's utter, it's just an utter irrelevance. People are into it. They're... I'm into the match. I'm not into, <laughs> I'm not into what Drew from Lincoln thinks is going to happen in that match. Well, I wanted to know what Drew thought and he voted, as did all of his mates and as did lots of other people. 600 Fine. plus. Fine, I'm glad they had their fun. But yes. There's no need to mention it in the forum of vaguely credible tennis chat we all had a lovely time because none of us know what's going to happen you can just stay on your pole vault free island over there that's fine um right matt what did you think i'll <laughs> 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 put you under that one um so what else happened uh elena svitolina's run continues of losses i mean she's having a really tough time as we told you at the start of the year coached or part of the coaching team is marcus Bagdatis, but she had a straight sets loss to amanda inisimova she lost to jennifer brady the week before so she is struggling at the moment uh santiago was the other event going on the atp 250 tournament which was won by tiago saboth wield a a 19-year-old Brazilian who is the youngest Brazilian to ever win a title. I think he's the first man from born in the 2000s ever to win a title. Yeah, he's um, he's pipped Felix Auger Aliassime, who has been the guy from from that year, who's been setting ticking off all the milestones for people born in 2000, and has obviously played what five ATP finals and not managed to win one, mm. and say what. Wild has come along and won his first. And, and I mean, it should be said that this would probably isn't as strong a final as some of those mm. that, uh, that, that OJ Alibsim has, has won, but Seboth Wild beat Casper Rude, who was a recent title winner in the final. It was very 
interesting as an experience. I watched the match, and it's it's a really quite bizarre experience in February to what to be watching clay court tennis. Mm. And obviously, this tournament has been going on for 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 a while. Or and the Golden Swing, as they call it, the uh, the clay court events in South America. And it was the same event, I think, or the same time of of the year that Rafael Nadal won his first title in two thousand and five before he won the French Open. And that's when I said. This is awful name dropping. <laughs> Coming up, folks. I say, Catherine, you just go out the room. I'll turn around. And uh, when I and John McEnroe had a little chat, oh, and I said, God. "That was worse than I was expecting." Yeah, me too. <laughs> I thought it was just going to be. I knew that Rafael Nadal was going to <laughs> be a nineteen-time on... Grand Slam champion. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd got this on record. I said to John McEnroe, "What about, what about Rafael Nadal to win the French Open?" This was in March of 2005. And he said, I think it might be a little bit early. And I said, Throwing McEnroe under the bus there. <laughs> it's true. Anyway, uh, Saboth Wild, who is uh, a few years older than Nadal, or a year older than Nadal was then, um, he, he looks like... Have you ever seen the show The O.C.? Yes, but that is not a cultural reference I was expecting <laughs> to hear. You basically hadn't heard of Taylor Swift five minutes ago. Yeah, but now I've, you're asking me about the OC. But I've got the DVD box set of the OC. Why? <laughs> what? Teen drama from the noughties. Yeah, what is the OC? The OC. You're missing out, It's the show that came along to fill the void left by Dawson's Creek. Right. <laughs> He looks. He looks. David's obviously looking to fill that void in the year twenty twenty. <laughs> he looks like a character out of it. Is all I can say. Why have you got the box set to the OC? It just seems to be in the house, <laughs> and I, I came across it, and I've watched it all. And there's about you didn't. It's about ten series of it. Yeah, it's really good. What? Yeah, this... it's, it's nearly as good as Boston Legal. <laughs> Not quite, but you know, nearly. Uh, and Succession was quite good too. Um, but anyway, yes. Yeah, so... Alone. No, no, no. Family event. Um, so save off, save off world. Uh, looks, it looks like he, he's a young lad who he just looks really nice, and you know the sort of chap you'd happily bring home to meet your parents and have a chat with. You know, no and, one in the OC looked like that. They were all reprobates. No, Catherine, you're remembering wrongly. This is all. It's all. Being they were all either nerds or reprobates. Well, he's just like the two tribes. He's kind of between the two. Right, just like a jock. Like a nice, normal, lovely chap who happens to be really good at tennis. That's who he is. Saboth Wild. And, uh, and I, like, I tell you, I liked watching him play. He's got a fast arm. We were talking about quick arms. Uh, who were we talking about? Fritz. Fritz. Yeah, he, he is that on clay, and it feels secure. He's a real shot maker. He's not a big guy. He's not muscular like Nadal. I can't, what, was, what was Alcaraz like physically? What does he look like? He's quite s- slight. He gets his power from uh, timing and yeah, technique. That, that's say. what this guy's like. Mm. I mean, he, I'm really excited to watch how he progresses now over the next couple of years on clay particularly. I was going to say, do you think it's a game that seems transferable to other surfaces. I'd have thought he'd be fine on hard courts, mm. you know. Actually, he did win, he did win the US Open juniors right. on, on a there hard court, go. apparently. So, um, Very exciting. It's, it's always, I think in this, like, in this day when there's so much content and information available, to, to, to have a title winner who 
we haven't really heard of. I think he played in Rio a, a couple of weeks ago and had a little bit of a run there. That was when I first kind of saw his name. Even that's just a little bit out of the blue and a bit weird, isn't it? That someone comes from kind of nowhere and wins a title. Mm. Um, we hear so much about so many players. Um, I, uh, I, I went to a Champions Store event at that venue in Santiago a few years ago. Fantastic venue, great city. Um, trying to remember the highlights. It was just after Fernando Gonzalez retired and he sort of rocked up and was kind of scoping out whether he thought the Champions Tour might be for him. <laughs> um, and Marcelo Rios was obviously the big name in the field and he basically couldn't walk because of a back injury and they like wheeled him out because it was... I mean, it was it was just not. You couldn't even countenance the possibility that Marcelo Rios wouldn't play this event, um, and he looked like my grandpa. Oh dear! Well, actually, I just realised that this was the first edition of the Santiago tournament since 2014. I didn't realise it was mm. a returning tournament, um, and actually, and it looked. I mean, I only saw the final, but it looked, you know, full stands, good atmosphere, um, and one of the few tournaments that I've seen with a female tournament director uh, who was uh, giving the speeches afterwards. And just it just sounded as though, uh, from the impression you got, that it was a really well-run tournament and well-received. So um, uh, let's hope, uh, hope that continues to thrive in the future. Um, now, we should just end on a little bit of information as well about the latest on the coronavirus outbreak because obviously it's been huge news over the last week. We we told you about how events in Italy had been affected and obviously the ones in China too. There's been another event cancelled in uh, the Kunming Open, uh, a 125k event in China on the WTA Tour and that was scheduled for the end of April. Um, the decision has been made in the best interest of our players, says Amy Binder of the WTA. Um, we're watching the situation closely as there isn't anything more important than protecting the health of our WTA community as well as our Chinese fans and supporters. We continue to communicate with medical experts as information evolves on this virus and we will maintain, we will continue to remain vigilant in managing this challenging situation. Um, and on and on it goes. So we'll just have to watch with interest to see what happens next. There's so many big tournaments coming up, particularly on the WTA Tour at the end of the year um, in Asia. But, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously the rest of the world's starting to become increasingly affected as well. Matt, shout-outs. Yes, this week... You get to have your name read out after the coronavirus update. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, we'd so like to end on a jolly note. <laughs> yeah. um, Annie Gabbett. Lisa, Annie. Lisa Tomlinson. Lisa. And Laura Slattery. Laura, thank you so much for your thank support you of Thanks, the Tennis folks. Podcast. And uh, that's the reason we're able to run it, because you lot backed us in our Kickstarter last year. So thank you very much for doing so. Anything else that I've forgotten? Or can I go and have a cup of tea and watch the OC? Don't watch it again. Well, I feel like once is enough. I'm sure, sure I've missed an enough. episode. Oh, you've just quenched my thirst for it now. 
kind of excited about it again. Um, all right, fine. You don't want to watch it? Fine. Um, so we'll be back again in a couple of weeks with a live show uh, in which we're talking to one another. Next week, we've already recorded it uh, because we're going to have a, a listener question special and we've already recorded it for you. And the reason for that is because Catherine is going to be in Indian Wells uh, presenting for Amazon Prime Video. Matt is going to be making his way back from the Davis Cup in Hungary. In Hungary. Okay. So. Whereabouts in Hungary? Uh, Debrecen, which right. I believe is the the second city. Although I'm flying to Budapest and then it's about two hours from there, I think. Right. Okay. So we'll bring you up to date with all of that and what Matt thought of it all in a couple of weeks' time. Um, and we'll get Catherine on the, on the blower from, um, from Indian Wells, which, uh, which is going to be lovely. All the current references, the OC, the blower... <laughs> <laughs> they use people still use phones don't they do they uh, it's, it's all skype <laughs> skype these days isn't it anyway uh so that's what you come to us for here on the tennis podcast your technology updates and your cultural references um thanks for listening and do tell your friends if uh, if you've enjoyed it tell other people about the show and get them listening so we get even more people listening and contributing and writing to us and uh, telling us about their uh, favorite uh 90s American noughties noughties oh okay I've got a few from the 90s as well <laughs> if you like I've got lots of DVDs have you got them on video I've got VHS I also once had a Betamax video recorder do you know what that is man? no no you don't know <laughs> okay man. Uh, Catherine doesn't know what that is either so it's just you and me folks uh, the, the older ones amongst you uh, we'll be back next week with another tennis podcast <laughs> and uh, leave us a review on iTunes anything else that people should do no stop now okay bye bye <laughs> 